ready to wake up, you're going to wake up. And if you're not ready, you're going to stay pretending that you're just a little, poor little me. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power. The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. Everybody is I. You all know you are you. And wheresoever beings exist throughout all galaxies, it doesn't make any difference. You are all of them. And when they come into being, that's you coming into being. Hey, my name is Jade. I live in London and I love to listen to your podcast while I'm I'm on my way to work. Hey, what is up everyone? And thank you so much to Jade from London for that message. And please keep sending over all these audios. It really is incredible. It really does paint a great picture of the community. And we really want it to highlight all the amazing people out there. So please keep sending those over. And honestly, don't worry about the sound quality. That is not important. You can just record them on your mobile phone. It doesn't have to be a microphone. The sound quality is not important. It's all about you, the community anyway. So this week on the podcast, we're joined by Guy Stephen Needler. He is the author of Beyond the Source, Avoiding Karma in the History of God. And in this conversation, we start off by diving into the world of karma which I think is definitely a fascinating talking point and one that we haven't really touched much on in this podcast in the past. And when we talk about, and later on in the podcast, we also talk about what is enlightenment and go down many other rabbit holes as always. And sometimes with a lot of these podcasts, we do have a few things and topics in our minds that we'd love to ask or touch on. But about 70% of the time, it goes out of the window and goes all over the place, which is probably more real anyway and makes the conversation more unpredictable and better. So I hope you like this conversation with Guy. And I also just want to say thank you to some of the new patrons. And I hope I don't get these names wrong. Kathleen Johnson, Autumn Seth, I think that's correct, probably wrong, and Charlie Potoski. I hope that's correct. But anyway, thank you so much to you guys. It really means a lot to us that you're supporting the podcast. And Patreon really is the best way to support the podcast. We also have a one-off donation option now, which a few people said they would prefer that option. They'd rather just sort of throw a few bucks in there whenever they can. And it really means a lot to us that you guys do feel this thing is worth a few bucks each month. It really does help us pay for the running and keeping this podcast going i mean currently at the moment it definitely doesn't cover the full run of the podcast but any amount that we can get is all a big help and we really do appreciate it appreciate it and as we know and also we do understand that none of you out there actually do have to donate to this podcast but everyone who does honestly you are amazing and we also understand the people that can't support us times are hard out there and some people We completely understand and we completely understand that. And it's just awesome in general that you are finding some value in this thing. So just to also give you a quick heads up, me and Chris are currently thinking about and working on an idea to do some podcast debates where we get guests on the other side of of different sides of the coin, on different topics and sort of have a friendly 
outgoing minded debate between two alternative thinkers on either side of a, of a topic which i think would be really interesting so please let us know if you think that would be cool and maybe what topics would you like to see debated on the podcast so anyway enjoy this conversation with guy Stephen. Yeah, so maybe a good a good place to maybe start this um, conversation is, I mean, I know you've have done a lot of research on looking into sort of deeper realities and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's so many areas that we could go this with you, but um, something that interested me and what we haven't actually talked about on this podcast a bit was, I think, in one of your books you wrote about the aspect of karma. Oh right, yes. Yeah, I mean, we haven't talked about that. I mean, so maybe that's a good place to start. Um, What's your understanding of karma? Well, karma's a huge subject, and mm. people think it's simply a case of cause and effect. You know, what you do unto somebody, you know, do unto others as you do as you'd have done unto yourself. So, if you, for instance, if you hurt somebody, you have to have that hurt back. But it's all to do with how you think, behave, and act. Really, uh, interact with individuals within this low-frequency environment. Um, how you interact with the environment itself and interact with those individuals in the environment mm-hmm. within yourself. So if you think of it in those terms, low frequency, then as we become more integrated with our lower frequencies because we're incarnate beings, the more we um, integrate with it, the more we get consumed by it, the more we get addicted to the, the, to the thoughts, behaviors, actions, and sensations associated with it. So karma is really about being addicted to the need to come back to incarnate on the Earth and, and other low-frequency planets as well in, in other galaxies within our physical universe. But also, it's deta- about detaching ourselves from that addiction so we can master our in- be- being incarnate. We can be in the physical but not be of the physical. Wow. So, so things about... I read a presentation on this um, some, some years ago. There's a book called Avoiding Karma, as you've probably realised. Haven't known, haven't known. Yeah, well, so called, what's called I'll, Avoiding Karma? It's called avoiding karma. Avoid um, I've got a couple downstairs. I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up for you. Can yeah. have, have a copy each. But basically, that gives you 104 different ways in which you can think about perfecting the way that you interact in this environment and reducing the the need to think in a certain way, like have status, have have um, wealth, have th- you know, material things around you, um, be looked up to be considered to be a leader or, or, a, or a great person or something, you know, or, even, or just be able to control people. Yeah. All of these things are, co- are really sort of addictive thoughts, behaviours and actions that are associated with a low frequency environment. If we can master those, then we can master karma mm-hmm. because we don't need to experience them whilst we're here. And also, we don't need to come back into an incarnation to try and sever the links. And also, we don't have these links, these desires, these addictions to come back into an incarnate state. To experience them as well. So it's not exactly saying that um, that um, say a title such as a leader is a bad thing. It's your attachment to that title which is the bad thing. Really. Yeah, you can be the richest person in the world, but realise that riches are a transient condition associated with being incarnate, and therefore meaningless yeah. because you've got them for a few years, and then you depart. Mm-hmm. And what happens to them? You know, when you go back into the energetic, it doesn't matter whether you're Bill Gates or Eckhart Tolle or um, 
um, the guy who owns Facebook, you know, it doesn't matter at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, or Elon Musk or you know, Jeff Zebos. That means nothing at all. If you're addicted to the need to have that money and have the power associated with it, that's a different thing. Mm -hmm. But if you can, if you can say, okay, I've got this 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 money, but actually it doesn't mean anything. But I can do some good with this. Well, I'm doing some good by employing people, and I'm trying to create an ethical environment for employment and an ethical environment for helping the planet. Mm -hmm. Then it's a different thing altogether. Um, there's a great story by uh, Paramahansa Yogananda where he describes a king who's surrounded by opulence and wealth, mm -hmm. and he's got a, a devotee with him because he's, he's understood to be enlightened. And this this king was trying to teach his devotee how to detach from the reality around him. Oh wow! And and he, and he created this condition where this guy thought the whole palace was burning, and this guy was going, oh. We must save this, and we must save that, and we must save this. What's the point? It's yeah. only it's only material anyway. So what, what, why aren't you running away yourself and saving yourself? But see, because it's the body's only a transient condition. The real me is sentient energy. What's the point? Yeah. Of course, once he, once the devotee understood that, the flames disappeared, and everything was back to normal again. It was this, this was a condition created by by the king, who was a master of self-realization in his own right within the mind of the devotee to try and make him th understand. But in real terms, the king, he would be just as happy as a pauper. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's this attachment to things, which is, what, which, which is the, the karmic effect, if you want to call it that. There's a very story, a lot of stories of very great men who um, detach themselves from who they are, their, in even their work, for example. Um, someone who came to my mind there was Isaac Newton, who, yeah. when his factory famously burned down, uh, he lost like decades worth of work. And the first thing he said was to the um, to one of his students, "Get everyone you know, because you're never going to see a fire as great as this again." Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and he was more fascinated seeing this amazing yeah. fire than he was his work. And everyone was like, over the next few days after that, they were all asking him questions about. It. And he says, "It doesn't matter. I'm going to get everything back. It doesn't matter how it happens. How it will happen. And yeah. I, it's just a lesson I'm going to have to learn." Well, look, if you think of it from a different perspective, the attachment to the past i.e. the work he'd done, the research he'd done, the notes he'd made, the progress he'd made, were actually limiting. Mm -hmm. Because he was, he was working, he's basing all of his new research based upon his past successes. The fire was like a failures. cleanse. The fire was a cleanse. If he forgot about most of what he'd done because it was all in notes, because you know, we still have to write notes down to remember what we've done, don't we? Mm. Then he can start again with a fresh mind and without the limitations of past successes and failures, which may lead you in a completely different direction to where you need to go wow. to to be ultimately successful. Mm -hmm. um, another one as well. Um, <laughs> sorry. Another one as well. When the, um, the famous story of the Buddha, when he's um, he was a prince in the castle, and all of his wishes were granted. He was given wealth of abundance, this life of amazing prosperity, and overall, he realised just like anyone with instantaneous pleasures at the fingertips is meaningless yeah. so he ended up wanting something else so he took one of his um, servants to take him around the streets and he seen poor people and he thought that was the way to live so when he started engaging with the poor people and he decided to leave the fa um, the palace altogether and he lived on the streets and he was starving he was really struggling mentally physically and eventually he realized this sort of life as well is not the ideal because yeah. I've just left one to another and then he spent obviously the 40 days underneath the, um, the tree meditating yeah. and so he supposedly woke up enlightened and he realized the real source of energy in this world mm. is 
the balance, the balance between the yin and the yang, the good, the bad, the prosper and the beggar. And he found that balance. And we are ultimately still on that journey of trying to find that balance yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, of course. And that as well, just to jump in as well, um, to find that balance as well. And you were talking about attachment before. And you said about how many great spiritual teachers um, had been on the path of understanding that attachment was something that we had to deal with in this reality. Mm. Do you think that um, that is maybe one of the big challenges we have to actually face is because we're living in a world now it's a very materialistic world oh it's gone mad yeah do you think that's it um i mean maybe it's i was gonna say i don't know but i was gonna say it's maybe it's harder than the past but might not have been because it would have had different attachments but do you think that's a a key thing that we have to face and that's one thing that maybe that's why we're here as well because it makes it even harder and we have to try and overcome them challenges one of the reasons why we're here apart from experiencing learning and evolving uh, and we evolve not just for ourselves as individualized units of sentient energy that's part of a, a much bigger being, which is also part of a much bigger being that we, that we sometimes call God or our source, is that we need to experience this environment and master it. Mm-hmm. And the only way we can master it is to detach from it. We can still interact with it and be responsible for our everyday jobs and uh, for our families, you know, and what we do around us and, and those who depend on us. But we need to be able to detach ourselves from what people say to us, from mm-hmm. circumstances that, that, that you know, hit us full on sometimes. You know. And if we can work with that and, and go, okay, this is a problem, I've got to solve it. It's a big problem, let's, let's, let's break it down to bite-sized chunks and just work on it. Mm-hmm. And not be worried about the emotional side of it, not be worried about, oh my God, it's going to cause this problems in the future and how am I going to cope with this and how am I going to cope with that? If we can detach from it, in almost a mechanical way mm-hmm. this, is the, this is the issue because when you are detached people say you're detached and they don't like it because you don't engage you're not engaging not, it's not that you're not engaging with them but you're not engaging with the circumstances that are clouding your ability to navigate through it mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a detached way remember being in the physical but not of the physical masters incarnation when you've mastered incarnation you no longer need to incarnate to, to, to evolve and therefore you can stay in the energetic yeah, which is, which is the goal at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Some, oh, sorry, sorry, can I just yeah. say this? Um, something I think this is a great point to bring up. Something that's been on my mind for a while. Um, I've been understanding a lot of gratitude, like morning gratitude, daily gratitude, and evening gratitude, and it's playing a big part of it. But gratitude primarily consists of what have you got that you're grateful for, and you hold it like well, me personally, I hold an attachment to the gratitude of like life. I hold a gratitude or attachment of the podcast of Dan, of of you being here right now. I hold constant daily gratitude. But from what I'm thinking, well, from what I'm just saying, is this a bad thing? Is this an attachment I'm holding on to, this feeling of gratitude? I've, can I just add something to that? Because um, I think for me, just straight away, I mean, it could be completely wrong what I'm saying here. But I've not, within that essence of what you said of being gratitude for certain things, I've noticed that I get a different feeling when I think about if if I'm say if I'm say I'm gratitude for tech for this podcast mic or I'm gratitude gratitude I'm for a mobile phone, that it feels a lot better if I really tune in to tap and say that I'm grateful for a conversation or I'm grateful for a moment. Mm-hmm. Does that does that make sense? I think is there a difference between them? Being two? Gr- being um, it's the attachment I'm thinking. It's a, well, you can be grateful for something. Mm-hmm. and be thankful for something but 
being grateful and thankful for something is separate from being attached to that thing. Mm -hmm. if, if you must have this, or you must have that, or you can't live without this, and you can't live without that, those are the signs of attachment. If you lose it, and you're gutted, that's the sign that you're attached to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you're simply appreciative of it, to the point where you're grateful for being given the opportunity, and there's no, there's no other, other attachment to it, for instance, if it, you left it here overnight and it got stolen, mm -hmm. and you didn't feel gutted, then you know you're not attached to it. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a couple of things I've experienced here, and one of them, I'll, I'll tell you a story that's, again, from Paramahansa Yogananda, and he talks about a, a, a yogi who's got a couple of students, a couple of devotees, and he's known for having this gold bowl. For, he's got nothing else, you know, loincloth, you know, lives under a banyan tree, <laughs> and he's got this gold bowl which he, you know, which he eats his, his, his arms from, his, you know, his rice that people give him. And then one day, this, he wakes up and his gold bowl's gone, and his devotees are going mental. They're saying, Master, Master, we must go and find this, this robber who's stolen your, your, your last item of, 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 of desire. And he says, don't bother. He says, now I don't have to worry about it being stolen again. Oh, wow. I love that. And that's it. And I, I, uh, uh, I don't mention this very often, but I was given a, a ring that was my grandfather's signet ring that went to my, my dad's sister, went to my, my dad and then my, my mother, and then went, went to myself. And I was cycling and I had it on. <laughs> and I changed it from one, one finger to the other finger because I damaged my, my little finger. And it was a cold day, winter's day, and I was cycling. And I, I only went, went from, I don't think I went to 100 meters and I realized it had gone. Oh wow! I looked for it because you have to. Yeah. Because it's like a family heirloom. I never found it. But you know what? I didn't feel attached to it. Wow. I didn't feel. I didn't feel totally gutted. I felt responsible for losing it, mm -hmm. and I had to sort of express that responsibility to my father to say, "Look, you know, I've, I've lost it." But my father said, "It's probably a good thing it's gone because nobody can fight over it in the future." So well, my father yeah. was detached from it. I didn't feel attached to it because I was more concerned about what my father was going to think, but that, was, that could be a level of attachment in its own right. That's really good, actually. But that's, that, that's it. If, if, if something happens and you don't, you don't feel this gut-wrenching feeling, then you, know, then you know you're not attached to it. Mm -hmm. You know you're not part of it. But this attachment, which is, which is karmic, mm -hmm. you know, the karma is so convoluted and so intertwined with everything we do here in the, in the, in the gross physical environment that most individuals don't realize that everything they do can create a karmic effect which means that they've got to master it and move away from it either in this incarnation or, or future incarnations mm -hmm. or it creates an addiction which means that they want to come back to incarnate to experience those thoughts behaviors actions sensations yeah. desires surrounding being in a low frequency environment yeah have you actually had any um experiences with car, like karmic events that like you could recognize in your life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, really, one of the things that is constant with most of us is, is, is what I call cyclic karma, where you, you experience something and you respond in a certain way. And that certain way may not be the optimal way. Mm -hmm. Now, if you get it, we never get things wrong. We get things, um, we, we, we experience things and we deal with them in a way that we can do with the tools we've got around us, whether they're mental tools or physical tools. Mm -hmm. But if, for instance, we didn't respond in the right way to that which was desired to, to, to cut that karma off, it comes back to us again. Yeah. And it can come back to us again exactly the same, or it can come back to us again slightly different, or it can come back to us again 
with more intensity. Mm -hmm. And if we continuously refuse to address that karmic issue correctly, then that cyclic karma can become a downward spiraling karma and get worse and worse and worse that every time we experience it. Mm -hmm. Think about you know, criminals who re-offend, you know, drug, drug addicts who re-offend. They, they are constantly addicted to that type of link to the physical. Mm -hmm. So they get worse. They get, you know, it's harder and harder to get off the drugs. It's harder and harder to stop stealing. It's harder and harder to stop being in a leadership position by, by owning a company. And even if they've had their, comp their previous companies go bankrupt around them. It ultimately yeah. forms an identity, isn't it? It's part of it, yeah, it's part of it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, when you were speaking before in terms of uh, reincarnation, do you, do you believe, I know you were saying before how reincarnation could be linked to karma as well. I mean, could you just describe, go into that a little bit more, how, what your thoughts are around that? Well, basically, if you go slightly higher level first, I mean, most of this stuff, by the way, is, is in the, one of my books called The, the Own Dialogues. You can understand, you get a, a much more detail about who we are and how we incarnate mm. in The Own Dialogues. Um, there's common titles there that we all know about. You know, like the life review and um, you know and the sort of the, the silver cord and the light in the end of the tunnel that sort of stuff. But I've I've been fortunate, um, and I'm quite humble about this that I've been given the opportunity to channel information, uh, actually from my late wife about all these details. And really, karma is something we 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 have to work with because we co we come here with a clean sheet of paper initially, mm -hmm. and when we incarnate. The whole point of incarnation is to experience some part of the multiversal environment in its entirety, in everywhere we can, in everywhere we can interface or interact with it, with those who are interfacing and interacting with this as well. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's about, for instance, if you go on holiday somewhere and you go to a new place, first thing you do is you're lost, aren't you? You're rummaging around, you're finding out where the beaches, where the bars are, you know, where the, where the restaurants are, where the hotel pool is, where the hotel rep is, all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. But eventually you get it mastered. You get to a certain level of understanding. Yeah, you map that reality. You, you, you've mapped it out. And if you go into deeper, you get there several times, you get into more and more detail. But once you've got to the point where you totally understand that environment, you know, you get to the point where you know what's in every drawer, for instance, in the in the hotel rooms that you're in, and you know, you know where every everything is kept in the kitchens, for instance, those sort of things. You've mastered that environment, mm -hmm. and when we master an environment, we then re, re, and that includes the karmic aspect of it, specifically with the physical universe, the low frequencies associated with the multiverse. Then we've we can move on. We don't need to be there anymore. But if we get addicted to it, then we have to try and work out what we can do in the next incarnation to remove those addictions. Even though we've been completely immersed in our incarnation and we may not be aware at all that mm -hmm. there's a greater reality beyond you know, the physical body, we still have to work it out next time and we give ourselves little cues and our guides and help us help us navigate through this turbulent sea of you know, karmic reactions, thoughts, behaviours and actions and yeah. sensations. So we work. So we work on it in between, basically, as to how we can detach ourselves or how we can move on, and, and we work with other individuals who are going to be incarnated as well to help us move on. Mm -hmm. And sometimes some of those things that those individuals do, from a human perspective, may be considered to be abhorrent, but they're there to help us detach from something that's happened. When I mean, you hear about people who've had had siblings or or or, or family members killed by somebody. And it's been horrific in, in whichever way they've been, they've been killed. 
But those individuals, if they're enlightened, mm -hmm. or they have a deep-seated feeling that they have to forgive that person, will forgive that person wholeheartedly. Yeah. And that removes the karmic link between them and that person, which may, be, which may have been the product of a previous incarnation that needs to be just needs to be removed. So we don't just have to remove links from the environment and how we interact with the environment and how we immerse ourselves in the environment, but also how we've experienced things in previous incarnations that we've got addicted to as well, yeah. or experienced or brought into this incarnation, and the links we have with other people as well, and links we create create within this incarnation as well at the same time. So it's hard work. Yeah, I was thinking now <laughs> when you have to reach these um, these different levels. So these, what are these other levels that you are reaching into? Sort of say, is it more like um, a deep intrinsic like energy force within, or is this an external force? Well, we we exist within an environment which is part of our creator. Mm -hmm. I call it the source entity. I was told to call it the source, source of who we are. Um, but, but, and it, it itself is part of a, of a much bigger being that I was told to call the origin. Now, a number of years ago, after I wrote my first book, uh, which is The History of God, and then moved on to the Beyond the Source books, Beyond the Source 1, Beyond the Source 2, I, I found out that this information is not new, not new news. Yeah. Clearly mm -hmm. it's not. And there was, and there was a, a, a gentleman who was a yogi called uh, Yogi Ramachara, who was around in the States at the sort of the end of the 1800s, sort of 1900s. And he wrote a number of books, one of them called um, uh, Occultism and, West and Eastern Mysticism. And, in, and I, I only opened the book once, and then there was a complete description, in different words, of what I was experiencing, oh, which, wow. is, which is amazing. And this is after, this is after I wrote my, you know, channeled my information. But what it basically means is we, we exist in an environment where our, our, our creator has, has separated out part of its own structure and part of its own sentient energy mm -hmm. and populated that structure with sentient with this sentient energy. This structure is a multiversal environment. There's 12 full dimensions associated with this, 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 this multiversal environment, which uh, in, gen in general operate in the same way. They split out into three sub-dimensional components, which then split out into 12 frequency bands. Mm -hmm. And each of these frequency bands or levels um, has the capability of creating and sustaining a, a self-contained, simultaneous un universal environment in their own right. So it's in parallel, because parallelism is something else. Mm -hmm. We create parallel conditions and different event spaces and different realities associated with that. And there's, a whole, there's a whole lecture on that as well in the future, by the way. Um, Looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not tomorrow. <laughs> but but in, in, in real terms, we exist. We have to, we have to work our way through this in multiversal environment. Mm -hmm. Now, what I'm told to call dimensions are much higher pieces of structure that one theoretical physicists call dimensions. Mm -hmm. My understanding is that they're, they're relating to the frequency levels, which the frequencies are exactly what we classify as frequency from a, a physical you know, physics perspective. Now the issue is that the first full dimension contains all the lowest frequencies because mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's a logical structure um, which, we can, which we can experience in a random way if you wish. But the, the lowest full dimension splits out into three sub-dimensions but converges back into a composite sub-dimension which only allows 12 frequencies. Oh, right. And those 12 frequencies together are required to create one universe. So if you think about it, we've got 11 times 3 times 12 is 396 
frequencies and 396 universes. But the first universe has 12 frequencies, which becomes 408 frequencies, but only one universe, so 397 universes. So we, 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 we have to, the whole point of an evolutionary um, cycle is that we have to experience all these different universal environments in as full and complete and as efficient a way as possible mm -hmm. and evolve subsequently as a result of that so that we can then re-commune with our creator and our creator moves to a different area and recreates that environment in whichever way it wants to. So do you think this is like, do you, um, actually I'd not go there but do you, our first question, because I had two questions in my head there. First one, do you think that, what would you class this reality as? Would you class, because I've heard many different people relate to this as, some people see it's a lower fr uh, frequency that we're at, and some people see oh, the physical is actually a higher state. This is where, this is the best dimension that we should be in. What, what would you class Well, there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of, well, if you think about, none of us know the big picture. Yeah. yeah. You know, anybody who says they do is, is not quite grasping the nettle properly. Yeah. Uh, and, a bit of, and, there's a, and there's always an element of ego that can sneak into people who are put on a spiritual pedestal, so to yeah. speak, or metaphysical mm -hmm. pedestal. And so these are the physical universe and all those frequencies which we can't see and detect. Mm -hmm. This is the first three, by the way. Mankind calls them dimensions. Yeah. This is the first three frequencies that create the, the gross physical aspect of what we are. I do describe this, by the way, t tomorrow. But... I have to, to explain something else as well about aliens and that sort of stuff, what they are, because they're only like us basically, they're incarnate vehicles. But the, but the, the gross physical universe is only a quarter of the physical universe that we can see. Mm. Oh, wow. And although we, with, with our telescopes we see all, you know, whatever method of telescopy we're using, we see mostly blackness mm -hmm. and then all these dots of galaxies. When you get to the 12th frequency associated with it, it's white. It's full of galaxies of those levels, planets of those levels, and entities who incarnate at those levels. So, the, so although it's, it's the lowest frequencies, because it provides a difficult environment to for us to exist within, because we're normally energetic, everything happens instantaneously, we can create, uncreate, move around, evolve, communicate, on various different multitude, you know, a plethora of different levels, mm -hmm. being here is very hard work. I mean, think about how hard it is for us to swim underwater compared to walk around on the surface here. Mm -hmm. That's a difference in frequency, isn't yeah. it? You know, the air is one frequency. If you slow that frequency down by cooling it down, it becomes clouds. Cool it down again, it becomes water. If you cool it down even further, it becomes ice. Mm -hmm. So we wouldn't be able to move through ice. It's very difficult. But the difference in us trying to move through ice versus moving around in the air is a reasonable example of what the difference is between us remaining in the energetic yeah. and coming here. Mm -hmm. so, we inc so, we, so to try to experience this environment in our normal energetic state doesn't really give us the proper experience because we're not having to interact with it in the way it's supposed to be interacted with by feeling resistance, mm -hmm. by feeling addiction, karma, by Having, issue, you know, by having to interact with other people who are also effectively dem, you know, deaf, dumb and blind, trying to find their way around the maze. Yeah. So, so from that perspective, it's difficult for us. And from, from that perspective, we start to forget who we are because the low frequencies stop us communicating with our higher selves, or what I'm told to call the true energetic self, yeah. which is sometimes called the Godhead in Hindu texts. Okay? That's the bigger part of us, which is which means disincarnate. And therefore, because it's difficult for us, 
it creates a higher learning profile. Mm-hmm. I was just about to say that, yeah. And therefore a higher evolutionary capability. So it's the best place to come to evolve quick. All oh, right. It, but it's the most difficult place to master. We have a lot of tools here as well that we use um, to tap into like higher frequencies, such as meditation as well. Um, yeah. Is that being one of your like ways to grow through your own consciousness? Yes. I mean, I developed over a long time a method of of meditation through some v- levels of different visualization processes that allowed me to project my consciousness into these different levels. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I do is a whole workshops. It tends to be mostly the States now, um, China a lot, um, and, um, and India, can you believe? Oh, so wow. To teach people to do what I do. Because anybody can do it, provided yeah. they've got the right focus. And so we, we are capable of doing this and, and, and moving around this, this, this multiversal environment by using certain tools. Mm-hmm. Now these days, I, I've been doing it for so long, I can just go there. In fact, I don't even need to use the structure. I just take information from wherever I need to in quite, in quite an amorphous way. And those who, are, who have mastered their connectivity with the reality around us, the, the rest of the multiversal structure, and those, those other entities that exist within it, including our creator and our creator's creator, would also say the same thing. Once they've mastered it, you can just go there. In fact, you're always connected. You're just turning. You're just sort of filtering out the connectivity, so you can exist in this environment. Mm-hmm. And so that's. And so, you know, basically, I'm connected all the time, but I, I tend to ignore <laughs> what I need to ignore to be able to do this sort of work. Mm-hmm. What tends to happen is when I'm. You'll notice with people like myself, is when they're actually tapping into that environment. They either close their eyes or look towards the ceiling. Now, if you look at yogis, I've noticed this um, later. If you look at yogis who are meditating properly, they don't close their eyes. They focus on the area of the third eye. Oh, wow. Because they're focusing on a different way of communicating and pick up, picking up information. And that's, and that's one of the things you see. In fact, if you look at some of the old paintings of some old Christian saints like St. Francis, mm-hmm. look at the features. His, his eyes are up there. That's interesting. Though. He's yeah, constantly really connected to, to source, to God. Well, um, something as well. Just a quick question. When you were talking about the, um, use the example of yogis, the thing that comes to my mind is, like, I do a lot of yoga, and I mean, I have a feeling about this, why it's important, but I would just like to see your um, sort of theories on it. Why do you think that the, the body, the body is, does have a big link to consciousness, and, and yogis in the past may have actually understood that the body was a good, um, a way to, to channel into that? If you look at yoga and you look at it um, from a distance uh-huh. and, and, and properly, you'll see that there's different types of yoga. Mm-hmm. Hatha yoga, Gnana yoga, Kriya yoga, Karma yoga, you know, Raja yoga, all those different types yeah. of yoga. But look at them. If you line them up properly, you'll find out they go from the physical to the energetic in terms of how you use them. Mm-hmm. What they are is their methods of teaching the student to focus properly by using what they're normally able to work with, the physical body, controlling the physical body, making sure it can be still, controlling the organs, controlling the, the limbs, controlling the, you know, not fidgeting around while you're meditating, mm-hmm. to being in a more energetic state instantaneously. So you go from the physical to the non-physical, the metaphysical, the energetic. This is the same with martial arts. Mm-hmm. You know, you get very, very physical martial arts. 
I think of things like Tai Chi. Yeah, Bruce Lee, that's... Or, or Aikido, yeah, where they're using energy in some way, shape or form. Because they're moving away from the need to be physical when we're younger, because we relate to physicality quite a lot. We incarnate beings. We're convinced we're physical, generally, mm -hmm. because everything we've been told and see and touch and taste around us tells we're in a physical vehicle. Mm -hmm. You know, we're told we're going to die at some point. Well, we, actually, that's complete nonsense. We can control our bodies, provided we're linked in with the greater reality properly. Mm -hmm. The fact is that some of us dis, dis, you know, are quite happy to go along with that but still work with what we're doing is, is immaterial. But the yoga itself is an excellent way of gradually focusing the attention and the ability of the, of the student to becoming connected with the greater reality. Do you, do you mm. think, I'll you jump in a second, but do you think that feeling of, because the way I describe that sometimes is when I do my yoga sessions, just to try and make it a bit more people to understand as well because I'm sure that people would have experienced this um, to me it felt like a sense of lightnessness in the body like it feels like you're no longer you, you're still aware part of you is still aware that you are your body but it's, it's like sort of a you feel this process of like well basically just lightnessness where the body becomes more yeah. light would, would that, is that like yeah, a way yeah, to describe well, I mean, it? <coughs> some of the things I, I do with what I teach my students is teach them how to open the chakras mm -hmm. and that brings them up, that brings them artificially up the frequencies and gets the consciousness up the frequencies now it does two things mm -hmm. when it it starts to detach the sentience what we are from the gross physical but a byproduct of that is you feel the detachment and the body tries to catch up mm -hmm. so it goes a higher frequency you can't always catch up because otherwise you would take your body with you wouldn't you when you yeah. when you move somewhere when you you project your consciousness into the rest of the gross, into the rest of the multiversal environment. But the feeling of lightness is because you're meditating on some point of higher frequency and therefore your body's trying to catch up. So you are lighter. Mm -hmm. if, I mean, you, you should try an experiment. I was thinking of myself. Sit on a, a, a set of scales somewhere and meditate. And you'll see the difference in your body change in terms of its weight. I was wondering if it was wow. more of a, um, in, like it was an acting as an anti-stress response in the body, <coughs> and then feel like it's relieving itself from this like existential weight inside. Well, I mean, the, the, one of the things you are doing is you're detaching yourself from this reality. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're you're removing karma. Yeah, exactly. And karma is potentially it's low frequencies, and it's, it's attachments or addictions to low frequencies. A heavy burden source. Yeah. You can classify it as weight. Mm -hmm. Yeah removing the weight from you, lifting the weight off your shoulders. The, the various different ways in which we describe these things. But in essence, what you're doing is you're, you're raising your frequencies. And mm. your gross physical body, this motor car that we use for a few years, yeah. you know, and we, we use and abuse generally, yeah. um, gets lighter as a result of that, that, that concentration on, on being in a different environment, a higher frequency environment that is pure sent sentience. Not consciousness, sentience. Wow. Consciousness is, is further down the, the ladder than sentience. Good. Um, something I'd like to ask, and um, me and Dan had a long discussion last night after after we did like six podcasts and we went out, we had a nice walk around, and one of the questions what we asked each other was, does enlightenment exist? Do, and we were trying to discuss what enlightenment is. Mm -hmm. And we were saying, well, if I meditated for the rest of my life, say 16 hours a day, I meditated, would that form enlightenment? And I was thinking, no, it wouldn't because I'd be sacrificing so much in other areas. So I was thinking, is there a yin and a yang balance between every single aspect of life? Mm. And would that create enlightenment? 
And again, I was thinking, no, it wouldn't, because then I'd be focused on everything in this reality. Yeah. So then I even got to the point of, maybe we are all enlightened. Maybe there is, enlightenment is just everything. Maybe there's no such pinpoint answer to enlightenment. But with your, with your understanding, like I'm thinking like, maybe you know the answer, maybe. Just, just start to that as well. No, yeah, because yeah, yeah. Just one of my thoughts as well is I said to Chris, I'd maybe as well, like, um, just uh, one of my theories about, just to paint another picture, is the form of um, what would happen after we die. And um, we've talked about this before that mm -hmm. maybe the essence of what happens when we die is what you believe will happen when you die. Um, so I was thinking maybe enlightenment could actually be different for different people, like for what they believe enlightenment is. Right. What you're talking about is a different thing to enlightenment, but hang on to that. I'll answer yeah. both questions. Okay. Enlightenment is in stages. Can I write this down, by the way? Yeah, you can do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're recording it. You can do it. <laughs> <laughs> you like it. Um, enlightenment is in stages. Depending upon the frequential level that you, you're able to project your consciousness into depends upon the information and the modality of accessing that information you, you, you get. Mm -hmm. And as you raise up the frequencies, you get access to higher levels of information and your abilities change, your functionality changes. So you get to one level of enlightenment where you under, start to understand and work with different levels of, of frequency and those, those things those aspects of those frequencies in, in the physical universe and the, the, the rest of the multiverse that are there. When you progress, you then start to work on yourself more, you go higher frequency. So you access other things, other pieces of information, other entities, other levels of connectivity, and your functionality increases as well. So that's the next step in self-realization. So your realization changes depending upon your frequential level. Mm -hmm. So you get access to different things. So when somebody says, oh, I'm, oh, I'm a self-realized individual, I say, yeah, which level are you then? Yeah. <laughs> what level do you feel you are? Because it's a, it's, you increase, the higher the frequency you go, you increase. Clearly, the highest level of self-realization comes when you become disincarnate. Because you're then in, connect, in connectivity with not only those other individuals who are disincarnate, but the, the larger ball of sentient energy that you're part of mm -hmm. and the environment that that's part of and the the entity that that environment is is within and part of as well mm -hmm. and the environment and the entity within that, that environment that that entity is within as well the, the, the origin so you start to see that the, the levels of enlightenment become greater and greater and greater or understanding and interaction with say, oh, say, oh, sorry to interrupt. say if you reached um, a part of enlightenment I don't think you would even class it as enlightenment, really, as a such, because then it would become like an attachment, really, wouldn't it? Well, this is the problem, you see. People do, people do get attached to certain levels of, of, of connectivity, of experience, of, of beingness, mm -hmm. and I think they've made it. You've got to keep going. Exactly. We you've you've got to keep going, because that's just one level. You keep going, you keep going, you keep going. Whilst we incarnate, we will never reach full enlightenment because we're bound to the, f the physicality of who and what we are. When we've reached it totally, we can just dissolve our bodies and move in. We, we won't even bother about letting the body demise properly. We can say, okay, I've had, I've had enough of this incarnation, and dissolve it, oh. because then you fully understand what's going on. Do you think, oh, sorry to interrupt again. I'm, I'm got so many questions. <laughs> we've got to think about, yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah. Very quickly to answer your question, when, when the physical body demises, the sentience of what we are moves away from something that Barbara Brennan calls a soul seat. You know, Barbara Brennan's a very important um, 
energy and vibrational healing yeah. teacher who was part of a group of individuals who included uh, John and Eva Piriakos and Susan and Donovan Tasenga back in the 70s and 80s. And, and, and Barbara is very good. I mean, I, I was at first, I was a, a student of one of her first generation students. Wow. First generation means that they're actually taught by her. So I'm on one level back, basically. But the understanding of what she had was brilliant because she was a, she was a, she was a scientist in the, in the NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory. So she was explaining things in, phys in, in science, scientific terms. But when you look at what, 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 what she was saying there, she was, she was locating various parts of what you are. And my understanding is, and I've slightly augmented this, is that what she called the soul seeds, where the sentience is, the essence of what we are. Those sentience... Although it's attached to energy, it doesn't need to be attached to energy. It's just that we use it as a means of experiencing things. Because sentience and energy can be, can be separated out, even though we do tend to be part of our true energetic self, mm -hmm. which is sentience and energy. Our true sentient self is sentience without energy. So when, we, when the physical body demises, the sentience goes back to the tantien, which is where the energy is. It's this, and this is the energy that animates the body. Mm -hmm. And all the energies that are in the different chakras and the different meridian lines can recollect back in the Tantian area. And the sentience and the energy coalesces together and moves back through something that's, that she called the Hara line. Now, the Hara line, in my understanding, is a small tube. It's an energy tube, which is a, com which is a communication line that connects with the, the true energetic self, with projections, where smaller aspects of a bigger entity. Mm -hmm smaller individualized aspects of the bigger entity and so we move through this this tube which protects the the connection although it's it's bandwidth is drastically reduced to almost nothingness because of the wow. dropping frequencies moves through this energy this, this energy tube and goes back into being part of the environment that whether for the higher self the trinitic self or the godhead of the oversoul all those words mean the same thing resides in, in terms of its, its, its evolutionary level within the structure of the multiverse. Mm -hmm. And part of the thing, oh, I moved through this tube and I came out into an area of lightness is because, the lightness is because basically there's nothing to refer to. There's no indication of who and what we are because we have no memories in this incarnation that we can use as a translationary medium to be able to experience what we're seeing. So what happens is we overlay what we're experiencing with what we expect to experience based upon our education. So we create an environment. Sometimes we do, most times we do, based upon our education here. It could be, it could be based on a certain religion, it could be based on a certain, certain belief, it can be based, based on being totally you know, against the opportunity of thinking that we are going to be incarnate later. Mm -hmm. So we, we, we can create this environment, and, but later that's dissolved when we work out who and what we are. And, and those other entities that will help us experience learn and evolve whilst being incarnate, help us to move away from that and go back into being what we really are. Um, something, so thank you. Is that, is that helping that question? Yeah, that was really good. It, that's, was the really the good. full explanation of that is in the end dialogues, by the way. So Not that I'm plugging the books, but it's, it's, it's a good place that's to start. I've got them written down, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you plug the books all you want because that's how people learn at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. I mean. um, what I, I want to ask there is, um, so do you think anyone in this physical reality right now can they not reach a stage of enlightenment? Or, I was just thinking in my mind, has anyone ever reached a, a pure stage of enlightenment from this reality? See, like a Jesus or a Buddha, were they tapping into some sort of... God source? Yeah, God source. I feel that there are, and there will be a few. I've, I've picked up something called the white children. We talk about indigo children, rainbow children, crystal children. Yeah. 
etc etc they're just new age ways of saying that they're souls who've incarnated into a body which is capable of coping with different frequential conditions and therefore it got better connectivity mm-hmm. but i've picked up something called the white children where they and I've, and I've i know of a couple and i know of one other individual who's going to look after one but these are going to be other leaders spiritual leaders along the same lines as maybe the buddha or, or jesus or um, Muhammad, wow. for instance yeah those sort of individuals so there's someone out there right now who's the, on the, the same yeah, level the, as yeah there's the four are going to be qualitative leaders four are going to be quantitative leaders and four are going to be in the background so to speak and they're going to be dotted around the world um within the next 24 25 years they will all be incarnate Wow! Get them on the podcast before then, and they will, yeah, and they will be, and they will be here to help guide us through the next bunch of years because this is quite a critical period now. Yeah, because actually we're losing control, and and although we are still evolving and moving up the frequencies, we're experiencing quite big drops recently as people get sucked into the addiction of low frequency thoughts, behaviours, and actions. Mm -hmm. Um, The only individuals above and beyond those those white children, those twelve white children are going to be people who they're sort of hermit yogis they detach themselves totally from the physical environment because the moment you start to interact with this environment you start to gain a potential attachment to it or addiction to it in some way shape or form wow. and so they so they move themselves out of it you know and they sit in a cave somewhere or do you think else. that as well that essence of like seeing they detach themselves from it and that you said uh, they go to Kiev or whatever they do. I know it's just a metaphor, or whatever, but they take themselves completely away from society. Do you think that could be actually a, a de-evolvement and a de-evolvement in themselves? Because, I mean, um, one of my theories is that one of the greatest things you can do is that you can actually be in the heart of chaos. It's like you're in the heart of chaos. Yeah. That's from from within the heart of chaos. That's when you can, if you are in society, you can actually make the real change. Hmm. Because, and just to bring it a bit more relatable as well as. Um, I think in society as well, society at the minute is needing a lot of more relatable leaders and a lot of more relatable yeah. spiritual teachers or whatever you want to call them, but yeah. just basically people who they can meet them on a level because a lot of times these spiritual teachers, they're not relatable to the to the masses. Yeah. And um, I mean, you speak on that a little bit if you want to do. Yeah, well, you're finding this out now in, in, in India, aren't you? There's yeah. a lot of gurus who are being rubbished now because of their... <laughs> Charlatan approach. They're, 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 they're charlatans, yeah, yeah. and there's, there's a lot being found out, um, and there's a lot that put themselves on a pedestal, or they believe what they're being told. Now, ultimately, we fool ourselves, mm-hmm. and, and, we, and we, one of the things we do create when we're incarnate is an ego. An ego is a temporary personality that's created through the almost total um, separation from who and what we are, mm-hmm. and, the, and, the, and the almost total lack of communication lack of communication with between who and what we are very fictional yeah so we create this temporary personality called the ego well what I'm, what I'm told to call the ego um, but this this creates a problem you see because we, we, we start to work in, in an egotistical way and that affects everybody even spiritual leaders and unless a spiritual leader or a metaphysical leader is capable of saying I get things wrong um, I'm progressing like everybody else Oh, and by the way, sometimes I do like a beer, for instance, you know, those sort of things. You can't relate to them because they're telling you one thing and doing something else. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's very difficult for people to, to work with them. A good leader has to be able to work with people on the grassroots level, hmm. understand them, talking their language. You know, Jesus did that. He, 
talked to everybody, went around everywhere. What's one of his strengths that was? Showing people how to live, experience, learn and behave, think, mm -hmm. behave and act whilst here on, on earth. The Buddha had a different way of doing it. He taught it through meditation. Jesus taught it through interacting with others and how to interact with your environment. The Buddha had a different way, uh, not, I'm sorry, Muhammad had a different way that worked as well. Each of these different masters, the sending masters if you want to call it that, had a different way of teaching students to be able to connect with the greater reality oh, wow. in, a, in, a, in, a, in a robust way. They're all different roads, you know? Some of them are straight up the, the mountain, some of them go around the mountain, some of them have a, you know, go up the mountain and then go around, then go up the mountain and go around. Just depends upon the, the, the different routes there. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, we have to be, if you put in the limelight, you have to be humble. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you think, oh, I've been putting a, you know, I can strut my stuff on stage. And <laughs> that's a dangerous place to go because then you've lost it. A good examples of this is, sorry, in my mind, uh, um, someone like uh, Gandhi or, or uh, um, Nelson Mandela. That's why I'm starting to picture like, in my head when I'm starting to, uh, trying to envision like these current symbols of like... Yeah. Um, well, I'm Gandhi, I mean, right bizarrely stage? enough, I was in Delhi a few weeks ago. So they did a workshop there. And I went to see uh, Gandhi Smitir, you know, his, his, his mausoleum, the place where, where he was shot. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's a wonderful place and they've preserved it wonderfully, you know, where he used to live and how he used to live. They got lots of photographs there of him because he was a barrister. You know, mm -hmm. He was a barrister, a very important individual in his own right before he became understanding of a better way of living and, and working together. But, you know, when I was walking around, I was feeling the energies and I tapped into him and he's so disappointed. Really? He's so disappointed in how people have taken his, his, his workings and, wow. they haven't, and they haven't moved forward. Wow. He's saying the work there has become a circus. It's become a, a place to go and see, not an understanding of how to think, behave and act. Wow, that's so deep. And, that's inter and that, was, that surprised me because I thought, well, yeah. It'd be heartbreaking, though, they, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you go there and they pay reverence to him. And they create this mausoleum, this like museum stroke you know, shrine for him. But he said, I don't want this. I want people to work in a non-violent way, to appreciate what each other are doing, to look after each other, to be of service to each other, to govern each other in a meaningful way and me and govern how we work with the earth in a meaningful way. Not just put me on a pedestal as being a, a, a political leader or, or create a, you know, a, a tourist attraction for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Most, I was, yeah, you, the dis disappointments I felt from the energy of him was, was, was quite profound actually. Maybe he was t trying, maybe he felt like he could connect with you because you had a bit of a different energy source to what everyone else in there was yeah. vibrating and maybe yeah. he's reached out to you to hopefully change that message, what he already has. Well, what, what, I mean, as you've been speaking, I've just picked up something that, um, so I do something called the World Satsanga, which is, um, I get a bunch of questions in from people who have read my books and who are linking with me from all over the world. And I, and I do a, um, a questions and answers session based upon those pre-advised uh, pre, you know, pre questions. And I also do a, a lecture as well based upon a subject. And I think, although I've already announced the subject that I'm going to do for, for the, the August satsanga, which I, I brought up, you know, broadcast, I, you know, um, Kevin Moore from Moore Show, who I'm great friends with, he broadcasts it on his YouTube channel, and I also broadcast it on my, um, on my blog, um, my, my website, 
and I'll, I'll, I'll email it to a few people who, who are also interested. I'm going to add in this thing about the Gandhi effect, if you want to call it that, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that I've picked up from, from my visit to, to Delhi doing a workshop and being shown around. Do you, do you think that um, one of the main messages, um, that because for me, for me, obviously, I think one thing that's been mis sort of recognised in, in a lot with a lot of leaders around the world, especially like Gandhi or ever who it is, even the Buddha himself, whatever it is, I think they they one of the main messages was that I am no different to you, like for people to stand beside me, not behind yeah. behind us. Yeah. And I think that's a message. That, that's what I see a lot of people yeah. who are whatever you want to worship or whatever they're doing, they they, they feel that they're they're behind the person and not stand alongside yeah. them. That's yeah. a really good point. If you, if you look at this, you, you look at all the, the original thought processes behind these great leaders, it's don't follow me, yeah. follow what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. yeah. They don't want you to follow them. They want you to understand how to experience, learn, evolve, how to be in the physical but not be of the physical, mm -hmm. how to navigate in and around it and not accrue karma. That's what they're after. They don't want great spiritual religions to be created around them. They don't want to be revered or you know, put on glass windows in churches and huge yeah. cathedrals and huge temples be created for them. They're not interested in that. They want you to work on yourselves and develop the connectivity with whom what you are and the greater reality and move beyond the need to incarnate yeah. whilst you're in this incarnation. It's okay to find someone and follow them in a sense of, like see if I've had, um, if my life was a complete disaster and I could look up to um, someone who I would seem has it all together. I could follow their like wear their guidance for a, a short while, but then ultimately the training wheels have to come off and you have to yeah. really look at yourself yeah. in that moment. And yeah. You have to say, where's my real growth going to occur? Um, an example, you know, when he was talking about that, an example in my head was coming on was, um, was when Forrest Gump, you know, seen the film, and when he's running, and then all of a sudden he's got so many people following him, and then they keep following him and they keep following him and he's just running and they keep asking why are you running and he's just saying I'm just like running yeah. <laughs> and, and eventually he just stops and he just turns around and he says I think I'm going to go home now yeah. the biggest example of that and that cheap mentality was the guy said so what do I do now <laughs> <laughs> that was a brilliant example of I mean there's a lot of hidden meanings in that film really uh, which, which, which was quite, you know, quite yeah. interesting the other day I mean if, I mean, if you look if you look at it um, the original meaning behind uh, a guru, a teacher, mm -hmm. keeping their students close to them was to keep them high frequency until they could create their own high frequency conditions and then you'd let wow. them go. Really good answer. But the issue is that a lot of the gurus like to have the fame and the, and the, the people depend upon them. Yeah. So they keep them there. Rather than saying, okay, you can fly now on your own. It's oh no, you can't do that. Yes, you haven't you haven't got the ability to do it yet. Or you need to come, you need to come more, be with me more, or we need to pay more. Sounds like Scientology, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah, or you need to pay more into the system, so to speak. You know, you need to be sort of more reverent. <laughs> a good teacher has one or two students. He teaches them, lets them go, mm -hmm. and lets them become masters in their own right. A good teacher, if they're really good, ensures that his own students become his master. Yeah, yeah, I like that. So that they can all move up the, you know, use themselves as stepping stones, not keep them, they have thousands of followers who can't move on because 
they're listening to the, the every word that their their teacher's saying, mm -hmm. and they won't even go down the road to the supermarket and buy their buy, buy their grocery without asking their guru whether whether what they're buying is is the right thing to buy. Jeez. That's what happens. I feel like that sometimes. That's what happens. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, specifically in India, this happens. They won't do anything until they, they they relinquish their responsibility for their own direction, their own incarnation, and give it to the guru. To feed the guru's takeies because yeah. it's like what. I feel good now, I feel yeah. great. Yeah. They won't tell you that, but that's what it is. They feel the energy about status. Mm -hmm. and that's ego. You know, it's, it really is about helping people move onwards and upwards and above you. That's what you're there for. Yeah, you're love that. And knowing when to bail out of that. Knowing when, you, knowing when you, in a teaching position, are creating confusion. Mm -hmm. mm, I like that. You're stopping people from progressing because you're in the way. Wow, yeah, it's cool. That's probably that's a good place to really good. Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? No one to come out, guy. Thank, thank you, you so much. <laughs> thank you, guys. I really appreciate this. Some good that. questions. Yeah, yeah cool. I really love that. Better answers, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Really enjoyed that conversation there with Guy. Another really interesting person, and I know we say that all the time about nearly every guest, but there really is some interesting minds out there in the world. And we definitely have some more interesting minds coming up in the very near future on this podcast. And as you may know or not know by now, we don't run any ads on this podcast. Just imagine me saying this week on the podcast, we're brought to you by men's underwear. When for one, I don't even wear any underwear. <laughs> but anyway, I, we don't want you to give your attention or buy shit that you don't even need. But the best way that you can support the podcast is through our patreon page or our donation option that we have and basically that option provides you and allows you to crowdfund this podcast that platform patreon in the donation option is about allowing you to put your attention and focus into things that you want to see more of so if you want to see more things like our podcast in the world we really do need your help to help us keep this ship going. So anyway, we love you all and we'll catch you next week. As always, peace and love everyone.